Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And today's guest is... Hi, everybody. My name's Paul Bennett. I am the eSports Director and Varsity Coach, as well as the Coordinator of System and Processes and Residency Life. I've been at Northwest for about five years, and uh, I'm excited to join the podcast. That's great to have you on today, Paul. So big question. I know it's burning in everyone's heads already, just from after the first introduction. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about eSports. What is eSports? How long has it been at Northwest? What is your role now as coach and director? Esports is literally competitive gaming. And that gaming platform can be across anything. It can be PC, it can be console, it can be single player versus well, one-on-one, it can be competitive, it can be pretty much all the games you think of. Esports as a whole has blown up quite a bit over the last five to 10 years. Um, Fortnite is definitely credited with a, with a bit of that boom, even though I would not consider Fortnite to be in the biggest case, the biggest thing right now. When we talk about esports at Northwest, um, myself, and we'll name drop Colin Siebert. He was a student here. He graduated two years ago. Um, he worked in residency life with me as also was pre- the original president of the esports club and fighting gaming club, which is slightly important because we, our roots started at the fighting gaming club. So we founded a fighting gaming club. So playing things like Super Smash was probably the biggest focus we played. Um, we founded that club. Uh, got it registered, kept moving forward, and turned that club into what became today's esports club. Um, and that change happened about two years ago. Um, once we kept moving forward with esports, I was already having conversations originally with Andy Peterson, um, just to get his take on esports at Northwest. Um, started having conversations with Greg Hansen, who is the VP of Rec, um, which is where esports is housed under. Um, once he started working here, started talking with him of how to get the ball rolling. And really the biggest benefit was almost everyone at Northwest was on board um, all the way up to Dr. J. Everyone wanted esports to come here. They weren't sure what that meant, but they most certainly wanted esports to come to Northwest. Um, and since I was already working with a lot of the key players uh, and pushing the group forward with, of course, my students like Colin Siebert, uh, we kept growing. We kept moving. Um, at one point, we clearly became at a place where we got a physical space. So we're located on the third floor of the union. We've got seven PCs, two TVs, a projector, a whiteboard, uh, a Red Bull fridge, um, everything you need for gaming. But at Northwest, it's continuing to grow. So then we fast forward to this year. We've got some funding to create a varsity program. Now, it's probably, if we're going to talk esports a lot, it's good to know there's no overarching umbrella for esports. There's nothing. There's no NCAA. No one manages any rules, which is important because like I happen to know Maryville University in St. Louis. I know some people out there. Um, they were the top team in League of Legends definitely two and three years ago. I don't know about recently, but their their budget for esports is over a million dollars. They have put over a million dollars into that program because there's no there's no rules. Whereas clearly we are not there. Also private versus public, things like that. Um, so there's no overarching umbrella, which means even the difference between club and varsity at some institutions will be a, a name change. It's that simple because there's there's no regulation. It's very hard to regulate, I would say, esports because it's such a growing environment. And when you regulate it, you're going to want to try and regulate the games and the games also evolve and change. Even think about like Call of Duty. Call of Duty releases a new, new Call of Duty pretty much every 
every year, every single year. So if you try to regulate that, that's a lot of rules to keep track of. That's a lot of things. And I, I'm sure there are a lot of entities trying to work on that. Um, but because of that, our shift at uh, Northwest for club and esports club is anyone that wants to be competitive at any level, they could be coming in. They could just want to, they played a little in high school or they played, didn't play in high school, which we do in Missouri have quite a big high school scene, which is awesome. But any level can come into our club and play. Anyone that wants to be interested in video games competitively can come play. It does not matter. Varsity, on the other hand, is supposed to be our high-end athletes. For me, it's where I have students that are passionate about both the competitive aspect and working as a team. Like they're willing to, they want to put in the time, they want to practice. Um, typically, it means I have some student leadership there. So I have someone within that team that wants to keep the team together, wants to keep moving forward because I am one person in an apartment and running at where our goal is five varsity teams running all varsity teams by myself probably wouldn't go so well on top of my other job. So currently this year we have Counter-Strike Go, we have League of Legends, we have Rocket League, and we have Call of Duty. So we have those varsity sports that can get scholarship funds as freshmen. So I can offer some incoming freshmen with a skill level who are going to make the team um, some funds to get in. Uh, they get use of our facilities. Uh, the varsity side of things gets managed by me a lot heavier since I'm the esports manager. While the club side is still a club, I advise the club currently. So I same any club advisor at any institution. I give them some ideas. I tell them, actually, that idea probably won't work. And that's like, rare, but there are some times where they're just like way up here. And I'm like, we need to bring it down here. But other than that, that club gets to run themselves. They have a president, a VP, all of that good stuff. Whereas the varsity is under me. It is my umbrella. Um, and I take ownership of that to move the team forward. That's the quick history of esports at Northwest. What do your competitions look like? So, you know, the, the football team, they travel to play, they have home games. I assume that esports is probably a lot of online tournaments, a lot of, you know, um, you know, those are all online games that you mentioned. So what, what do the competitions look like? Correct. Uh, 95%, especially with COVID, is online. Um, we typically uh, join various leagues. There are some management of leagues uh, that help schools connect, basically. And then we typically would work with that school um, to find a scheduled time. Basically, the league would set up, they do brackets, they do prelims, whatever they're going to do. And then we are going to play, you know, maybe Texas A&M. And then we message Texas A&M's captain uh, and we work with them to schedule a time, which is nice because it, it allows some flexibility within student schedules because it's not like every Thursday at seven o'clock they're busy. And it is all online. We have done some travel, especially when we we're transitioning from Fighting Gaming Club because there's been some like Super Smash tournaments, which Smash is typically not played online. It can be, but it's very much an in-person conference type um, game. So we've done some travel for that in the past uh, to go to there. As well as my guess is if some of these tournaments made it to the very top echelon, that would typically be in person. That's when they want to bring in the crowds. They want to showcase. The other big benefit with COVID was COVID really didn't stop us at all. No problem at all. That's one of the biggest benefit I would say from esports is we were able to survive, if not grow during COVID, because it meant very little to our demographic and how we operate. Could you tell us a little bit about how you started playing video games? I've been playing video games I, uh, since a, a system that nobody knows. Turbo Graphics was basically the big boom. We all know Atari because it's the classic. And then we know typically Nintendo and Sega because they were the next big echelon. There was one, there's some systems in the middle. Turbo Graphics was one of those systems. It's quite old. Um, none of those games are very popular. Some of them are also arcade style games. Like if you played them in a Walmart lobby, that doesn't exist anymore or things like that. So I was probably a Sega fanboy. Then uh, the first system I bought, like when I was a teenager and saved up my money was an N64. Uh, I bought Ocarina of Time, which is a Zelda game. 
big big fan of Zelda. You haven't seen I have a, a Zelda tattoo. It's a thing. So I have been playing video games at this point, not to age myself, at least 25 years. There are some games I played a lot. So games, especially that Varsity plays, I was in league since the beta, which is very scary now because that beta happened when I was in grad school, which means that beta is from 2008. So League of Legends has been around for 13 years. That scares me a little bit. But uh, I've been playing that game on and off. I played the classics like, wow, I played a lot of the shooters. Uh Overwatch, COD, all the good ones. Uh, I tend to play a lot of games. It helps that that is how I relax. That's how I de-stress. It's also part of my side gig, which is streaming and all the things you see. Um, my wife also plays games who works at the library. Um, so it is definitely a, a big part of our life and a, a passion area where I talk a lot of people about it so that I'm able to also connect with those students and talk about all the things that they're excited about, all the new games coming up, the things they tried for fun, probably enough to spitball about all the champs in the games and what's good and what's not. Because again, it's it is definitely something I live and breathe. But you also have another job. I do. Let's go to the other half of Paul's brain. Um, how did you end up in higher education? That is a good story, actually. I am one of the rare individuals that knew what an RA was in high school. I had a history teacher way back in the day um, that happened to go to Whitewater. I, uh, I did both my undergrad and graduate work at UW-Whitewater. Uh, they happened to go to Whitewater. And they talked about how, as an RA, they could get free room and board. That's literally that was the selling point, free room and board. I Single parent income home, not that well off. Free room and board sounded amazing. So I knew in high school, I was like, I need to do whatever this is. Um, got involved in my freshman year at UW-Whitewater when I ended up going there. Um, became an RA my sophomore year. So I was an RA for three and a half years at UW-Whitewater. But it wasn't until senior year, because I do think people, especially in residency life, never realize that the adults in residency life have adult jobs. Um, and you can do that. Like, that's a thing you can do. Um, so I have a bachelor's in finance, had already been, had a semester or two left of my uh, bachelor's at the time when I was talking to my at then graduate hall director and said, like, if I want to do what you do, what is that? And her eyes lit up just as big as they could. And she's like, you want to do this? And then just started talking to me the most I had seen her talk ever. Um, and she was just very excited. Uh, so then I did research, wanted to know what I could do. Thought it was a really cool idea to go get my master's for free, which is what I was at the time like, wait, I can get a master's for free, get paid to live somewhere. Maybe I go live somewhere fun for a few years. Didn't know what my plan was at the time. Um, good old 21, 22 year old Paul. And then did a full search and oddly enough, ended up back at Whitewater after that full search. Um, they have a good program. I knew them. They wanted to hire me. They had some of the better amenities. It just worked out that I ended up back there uh, in their counseling program because it was the closest thing to higher education. My brain is a very logic and numbers brain. So getting that counseling background, I think, really helped balance the side of what I was doing. So got a it was a three year degree counseling degree. I have uh, counseling with higher ed focus. I always tell people finance counseling, not very related at all. It's a good time, though. Uh, and it helps definitely helps with what I do within residency life. Having both those degrees is very helpful. My path was, while sounds funny, it was probably kind of standard. I feel like many individuals that go into residency life don't make that decision till late in their junior, senior time and then get kind of thrown into it. Or they want to go get a degree because like I, at Whitewater, I could have went and got a one-year business degree for my graduate work. Like we had no restriction of the type of degree you got when you worked for them for free. Uh, worked for them for the free degree. 
um, but got higher ed, went into it. If we continue my story, did another full job search back in 2012 and actually ended up at a small little college called Guilford in North Carolina. So I worked out in Guilford College, North Carolina as a hall director and student success mentor. So it was like a dual hat job. I had the standard res life job and then met with basically individuals admitted to the institution with conditions. They had something in their history, something in the past that probably put a red flag so that they had some extra help, had some extra time and a person to talk to and mentor. Uh, Really awesome experience. Guilford is a Quaker institution, which was also a very unique and very cool experience. Greensboro, North Carolina is beautiful. There were three targets within 15 minutes of where I lived. That is significantly different than both Maryville and Whitewater. But yeah, that that would be my my general path for higher ed uh, and how I got involved originally. So how'd you end up at Northwest? North Carolina to Maryville, Missouri is not a linear path. So how'd you end up here? It is not. So my wife and I did start dating at Whitewater and moved to North Carolina together. Our original intention was to get closer to Wisconsin, maybe not necessarily next to parents, but closer. Driving distance. North Carolina was like 13 hours. We made that drive once or twice. was not fun. Flying was not fun. So getting a little closer was some of the original intent. I actually was a mid-year hire. I started here in January 2015. So saw a position posted at random that fit within a pet policy. I have two dogs. What I have a dog I originally got at Whitewater. His name's Captain. He's like 11. He barks a lot. They're both wiener dogs. Then we have a, a, a newer dog named Glitch, who is a female dachshund as well. And she's like, here, here we had a pet policy. That was part of my requirements. They had a partner policy because, again, my wife and I weren't married. We were in the process. But there are some fun conditions when you work in residency life that because you live on campus and they control where you live, there are different institutions with different policies. Northwest hit all the check boxes I needed. Uh, did an interview. Really enjoyed the people. Uh, Mike Miller, who's my current supervisor, was the one I was going to work under then, even though we were both in different roles. And really enjoyed work, uh, my conversation with Mike, enjoyed meeting the people here, enjoyed the environment. It also, I'll be honest, gives me a very whitewater feel, which was, was what I was used to. Uh, population size between here and whitewater where I went was at the, a difference of like a couple thousand. Campus size was very similar. Town size was very similar. So the like natural comfortable factor was already there, which was a, a big selling point as well and getting closer to home. And then I ended up here and I have been here for five years. You're slightly different role, I guess. You're in a slightly different role than you were when you started, right? So what did you start as? And then can you talk about your progression there? Um, I came in as a hall director. So I um, was hired directly into hall director of Tower Suites. So I ran the station in Tower Suites. And at that time was running the station. The station had a bit of a different model where I ran all the conference rooms, did all those things. That position has progressed. If everyone knows Mark Hendricks, he got to absorb that when he got hired here. So I got hired in as a hall director for Tower Suites, worked in Tower Suites for two to three years, um, wanted a change of scenery, change of space, uh, different clientele. And then I actually became the hall director, um, well, complex director of Roberta and FEA. So I ran our upperclassmen area and I got to live in Roberta, which is where I live now. That's a fun, weird fact that I live in the sorority dorm, but it is a very impressive apartment and I do enjoy this apartment quite a bit. During... COVID actually, really around COVID is when our director position opened up. Mike Miller moved into that after interviewing in a timely process. And then we had an open coordinator. COVID was a very fun time. Uh, I stepped into that role, just trying to manage everything that was going on. Um, And then eventually after being intern for a while, um, was hired into the position after a full process. Um, So I am now the coordinator of systems and processes 
which means I supervise some of our complex directors. I work on a lot of our intricate processes, help a lot with student staff selection, training, all of our background behind the scenes while still working with our our foreground of our RDs and our student staff. Did you hire student staff as a hall director? Was that part of your role? And so do you hire now? Do you have the opportunity to hire now in this role student staff or do you supervise now other staff? No, I supervise full professionals at the moment. I do not typically hire any student staff. For my other position, I have now been cleared to do some scholarship-based positions within esports so that I can have some more individuals helping me drive this program forward. So I hire to a degree that way. But on the res life side, no, I help run the process, but the hiring is all done by our professional staff that are our complex directors. Gotcha. I guess my thought process behind that is what's your methodology for like hiring? You know, if you were as a hall director, like trying to mm-hmm. figure out you have all these students applying for roles. How did you how did you find empl- good employees? What was your process for that? That's a fun question. It's a question I probably get to answer to some shape or form every single selection process. Some candidate is always going to ask me, what is the best RA? How do I get hired, et cetera? Of course, that's just naturally there. And typically when that question is asked, all the RDs kind of go around the room and they'll talk about what they look for. Um, for me, as someone who's been hiring and I've, outside of the fact that as the RD, I actually ran our student staff process here as well. I ran it at a previous institution and at Whitewater, I took it over when I was a grad. So I've been running selection processes for longer than I'd like to say. For me, it's always about an individual that is dedicated to what they're going to do. They want to put in the time. They want to put in the effort because if we're going to do a sales pitch for the RA role, um, it is extremely rewarding. You get free room board. You make insane connections. I can tell some of those stories in a bit of why I stuck with it, but it is a stressful job. It is. It is, especially during what I would consider 2020, 2021 mental health is at a very roller coastery place. All our residents are there and our RAs support our residents. So therefore our RAs are going to get a lot of that. So there is a lot of caveats with the RA job and it is not an easy job. I will never sell it to anyone that this is a piece of cake job. It's easy. Anyone can do it. It is a job that you gain a just insane amount of skills. You work on so many different levels as a staff member. You do policy enforcement. You do team building. You do programming. You do budgets to a degree. There's just so many different aspects that you do within that job. We get you a very impressive skill set. So anyone that is willing to, for me, put in the time of the job, wants to learn and improve at whatever they're doing, skill set is only 20% of the equation for something like this job where there's so many aspects and many jobs. Skill set is what's needed. There are always going to be jobs that have a skill set that is required. But for a position that is so overarching, um, it's more about the flexibility, the determination, the ability to learn from whatever is going on. We hire clearly 18-year-old to 22-year-olds. Mistakes happen. Things happen. We just want to work with those individuals and want them to grow. Um, we do a lot of training. If people aren't aware, they come to training. They're here for like a week and a half to two weeks before we open. But anyone looking for the RA job, flexibility, willing to basically work on themselves, has some drive, is very important. And then the fun one is probably also willing to work on their balance. I don't know that there's anyone that can come into the RA job and have it all balanced out. I do not think that is possible. I don't even think if me after doing this for 10 years, went back into the RA job, I could magically balance it all perfectly. Um, There's just so many ebbs and flows that having the ability to balance is good or prioritize, but it's always going to be a growing skill within that style of position. That's really good insight though. I don't think that balance piece, a lot of people don't think about that in, in Mm -hmm. that type of a role. 
we have sort of mm-hmm. similar issues over here out with our student mm-hmm. employees with the ebbs and flows of things coming in. I, I, I imagine you'd agree. A lot of our students that get involved, get involved everywhere. They just are involved in so many things. That includes RA students. I'm sure that includes and includes ambassadors, includes everyone. They just get involved in a lot of things. And it, it is a, a balancing act when you get involved in those many clubs, orgs, jobs, et cetera. So you mentioned you live on campus, you live in Roberta. So that's a really unique university kind of only thing. So what's it like to to live where you work? And is it hard to separate work-life balance? And, you know, you're right there. You're in the thick of things that you mentioned it's a sorority dorm. So I bet there's some drama that happens in there. So, so what's it like to live where you work? It's very interesting. I mean, I've seen individuals of all different roads and, and lifestyles do it. I've seen full families live on campus. Uh, take advantage of the fact that they have like 6,000 babysitters nearby. Um, I've seen myself where I have a wife and a dog, two dogs. I've seen individuals that are fresh out of college. Clearly they live in rest holes. I think it's a, it is the disconnect is hard. Um, it's not the easiest thing um, because literally most departments on campus for our staff, you can't really leave without passing the front desk. So literally the second you leave your front door, your front desk may have a question. There may be a resident. There may be something going on. Um, and pretty much everyone we hire is going to be of the mentality that they want to help students, every student, every day. I mean, so the second you're outside of your apartment, the second you open your front door, you may need to be on right away. And that is just a reality. There, there are a lot of benefits. A, free living and a, and a good salary is a pretty big benefit from just, just I haven't paid utilities to ever. That's pretty cool. It's more than just electricity, like clearly cable, internet, all that. Don't have to worry about it. That's awesome. Um, the other reality is anything that breaks, I don't have to worry about. I mean, it's under university contracts. We have our own workers. We have our own things. I, it is not my thing to worry about. Now, I will still YouTube and Google things if I can help and fix it myself. Uh, but it's, it is a, it's a nice extra. However, I am also living with anywhere from 120 to 140 sorority girls. Uh, recruitment week is loud. It's a lot. There's stomping. There's things. My front living room is by the stairwell. Heels on stairwell, pretty loud. Um, fun fact. Does the glitter seep under the door? No, I, do, I usually do not get glitter in my apartment, but man, glitter and like boa feathers are everywhere for like two weeks prior to recruitment. I love them. They're super excited. It's, a, it, I, it's very entertaining to live in Berto or really any of our places, but yeah, so much glitter, just, just so much everywhere. And then there's the other things that are very unique. Clearly, maintenance does checks of things. Fire safety does checks of things. Not something you're going to have in a typical home. You're not going to have someone come check all your stuff while you're just living there. You're not going to have someone knock on and say they need to change the convectors for all the or the filters on all the convectors. That's just not a normal part of life. Or, you know, have a building dump because someone burnt popcorn in the basement. Like those things affect myself and our staff as well, which is always a unique thing. But um, my wife hasn't gone crazy yet. So, we're in a good spot. What's one of the most rewarding things about working in um, res life? I mean, I think it's going to be the connections and the growth. You will get moments you will you will never forget as well. So probably never realize you did. So probably two of the reasons I went into res life back when I was an RA was my, let's see, I think it was my first year as an RA. I was on my floor while I am naturally an introverted person, I'm not when I'm in front of this camera. I'm also not when I need to be for the RA role. I am happy to spitball with people. I just talk, ask them how their day is going. Um, just doing what I did because I thought that's who I, what an RA need to do. They talk and they check on people. It's part of the role. There was a senior living on my floor um, who I always checked in on. She was really nice. She was 
And I think she was an English major, major always writing papers in her room. Uh, I stopped and chatted with her a lot. I just said, hey, how's it going? Her door was always open, which makes it very easy. She was like four doors down from me. Anyway, younger Paul was not the best at administrative work. So one day my supervisor was going to yell at me a lot because I hadn't turned something in, probably programming. But he, I walked into his office and he said, so I have this written up, but I'm not going to actually yell at you. I'm just going to show it to you. And that's because one of your residents emailed me and said she has never felt connected to this floor before. She has never felt supported by an RA before on campus for four years and that you are doing a terrific job. I had no idea I was doing anything at all. I was just saying hi and making conversation. But that's a moment, like I'll never forget that moment. That's a moment that's ingrained in my head. I was just flabbergasted. It clearly saved me apparently from getting yelled at, which was a bonus. But those connections and those things that you don't always realize you do and how you're supporting individuals is extremely rewarding. Now, it means the payoff could be any time. I had an individual from when I worked at Guilford called me on the phone, oh boy, about three months ago at like 11 p.m. Haven't talked to the individual for two years. Um, had my cell because when they were going through some stuff, I was there to help. Uh, called me, uh, said they were getting help in other ways through some different things. And that part of that was thanking some of the people in their life and also apologizing for some things they had done in their life. So we talked for like 20 minutes and he talked about my impact and he talked about what he was doing now and just kind of showcased what he was doing. Again, there's no way for me ever to have known that was going to happen. It was a call two years later about an individual who, yeah, they're still my friend on Facebook. I like their stuff and comment occasionally. I know where they work, but we hadn't talked in probably two years, um, but called me talked about how I had supported them years ago. And it, again, there's no way I will ever know that that's going to happen. No way I ever expect that to happen, but it's very cool and very unique to, I think, these style of people-centered professions. I heard someone say once, like a Marine gets two paychecks. It's sort of the same thing, right? Like res life, you get two paychecks. You get paid for doing the work, but you also get paid in intangibles. Those relationship connections are something that's really special for those types of roles. What advice, we'll probably wrap up here. What advice would you give for someone, we'll do two paths, who wants to get into maybe higher ed, maybe student affairs um, types of roles? That's question one. Feel free to go off on that path. And then what advice would you give for maybe incoming students who are interested in esports? Anyone that wants to go into higher ed, I talk to the people that are doing it. I mean, the other reality is you do not need to be an RA to go into higher ed. That is probably the most standard path, but I've seen plenty of individuals that are very involved in clubs and orgs, very involved in student body. They're involved in RHA, which yes, is related to res life, but is not an RA role. There are different paths to get into it, but your best option is to connect with individuals um, so that they can help tell you about the various job fairs that go on in our industry, the way people apply, how things are different, like that kind of thing. I will happily volunteer my time. If anyone out there is at Northwest and wants to talk about res life or going into it, I will happily do that. I have a good background having done it for 20 years and having done, I did career services with my internship for counseling. So I did a year in a career office um, doing resumes and doing all that wonderful stuff. So I, I got some good experience there and insight that helped me both in the field and out of the field. Um, so really it's just get involved and talk to your RA, talk to your RD, talk to anyone, talk to me. I'm happy to help. For a student that wants to get into esports, uh, I think it is, if you are not a freshman already, so you're in high school, I would probably see, again, Missouri has a surprising amount of high school teams or clubs and is in the process of creating a lot. 
Weirdly enough, for esports, Missouri is a bit of a hub. Numbers-wise, has some of the most colleges and high schools that are already involved in esports. Um, we've got some of the bigger companies are even based out of Kansas City that try to, again, become that umbrella for different institutions so they can connect with each other. Um, so I would say find ways to get connected. I would say really some of it, just like any other interest or sport, is hone your craft, figure out what you want to do and what you want to play. And then it's the same thing. I have conversations with my captains. I have conversations with my manager that we recently hired is at times you need to play with purpose when it comes to, it's the same as practicing with a sport with purpose. It's playing a video game with purpose. So that applies very differently depending on the game. But if you have a goal for a game that is working on something that you know is maybe not your strongest aspect or is your strongest aspect, Working towards that is going to be my advice. So playing with purpose so that you can get better at what you're doing, because if you're better at what you're doing, you're probably going to success more. You're going to bring in scholarships. You're going to get known. Play with purpose when you're, when you're like, there will always be a subsect when I, mental health and balance is important. And when you start playing your hobby for more than a hobby, there is going to be a balancing act there. But if you have picked a game that you want to be better at, that you want to improve on, and you want to perhaps pursue in college or at the high school level at the moment, play with purpose. Find something to practice on. If you're playing League of Legends, um, make sure, I mean, really any game, if there's a game that you can die in and you're on a team, work on not dying is the most basic thing to do. Realistically is. It almost applies to just 99% of the game. Travis knows that applies to life too. I just hate to interject, but that's fair. <laughs> Work on not dying. <laughs> Work on not dying. But depending on the other game, there are always going to be skill sets that are important. There are going to be things that help your gameplay better. YouTube is an insanely amount of content where you can find someone that's like, here's the five tips and tricks. And if there's one of those that you don't focus on, play for the next three hours focusing on that one thing and see what the results are. I mean, that's that's play with purpose is probably the biggest way to improve your your own game as well as then get noticed and then get involved. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah. Happy to do it. Thank you. All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>